Hi, I'm Gigi, and welcome to Driven Minds, a Type 7 podcast. In this series, we talk to our cultural heroes to learn how they navigate through challenging periods of their lives and find mental strength. So there's this roomy quote I love that goes, live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. I interpret this to mean take comfort in knowing that everything is playing out the way it's meant to, even if it really might be hard to see at the time. Like that breakup that destroyed you, the one that was the worst thing to ever happen to you. Yeah, that was meant to happen. And that radical acceptance, which is really hard to find, is a mental game changer. So when I was researching today's guest, Ariana Huffington, I saw that exact same Rumi quote I love in one of her books. And I loved rereading it in the context of how it related to her own life. Ariana never really saw obstacles as roadblocks, but rather hurdles for her to find a way over somehow, some way. Ariana's story starts growing up in Athens, Greece, where she spent most of her youth dreaming about attending Cambridge University. The issue was she did not speak any English, but with the help of her mother and a boatload of determination, she learned the language, took out a loan to travel, and within a few years, she became president of the Cambridge Debate Society. That kind of drive is what characterizes Ariana's trajectory for the next 50 years. She's the author of 15 books. She's appeared on Time Magazine's Most Influential List. And in 2005, she co-founded the famed Huffington Post. And that is just a few of her many accomplishments. But with all the success also came a dangerous amount of stress. In 2007, she collapsed in her office and woke up in a pool of her own blood. The diagnosis was burnout. Needless to say, that was the only sign she needed. She completely 180'd her life and redefined her own metrics for success, and then put them forward in her best-selling book, Thrive. In 2016, she founded Thrive Global, a company on a mission to end the epidemic of stress and burnout in the workplace. Thrive has a podcast, an app, and all sorts of great stuff. Ariana's last book, Sleep Revolution, which she wrote in 2016, is about the importance of an eight-hour night of Z's. The irony here is that I got about three to four hours of sleep before our interview because it is proving so much harder than I thought to get my rabid melatonin addiction under control. So I was tired and nervous, but Ariana has the kindest and most calming presence that she immediately put me at ease. So here it is, my conversation with Ariana Huffington. I want to start off by admitting that I did not get a, uh, a full eight hours of sleep last night. <laughs> but in my defense, everyone I speak to these days is also having a bit of a hard time. I mean, even people who have never had sleep problems before... So I'm curious, did you start having sleep issues during the pandemic? Or are you just like Rip Van Winkling your way through this? <laughs> now, first of all, um, there is even a term for that called coronasomnia. Mm -hmm. And um, nobody should feel ashamed of having sleep issues. Um, also, Gigi, you know, um, not everybody needs eight hours. You know, having studied all the sleep science, most people, the vast majority, need between seven and nine hours. So you may be a seven-hour girl. I know I'm an eight-hour <laughs> girl. And there is a tiny 
minority of one, one and a half percent of people who don't need a lot of sleep. But right now, you are absolutely right. Sleep has been much harder to come by. I have a big toolbox. So on the nights when I'm feeling more stressed or more worried about all the uncertainty in front of us, I have a lot of sleep meditations. Mm. In fact, we've recorded a podcast. Uh, this is our third season called Meditative Story. I've listened. That brings together storytelling and mindfulness prompts. And then we did a series with Audible. And my favorite sleep meditation is by Sean Didi Combs. So I love having <laughs> his booming voice putting me to sleep. And also, I, I'm a meditator, so sometimes if I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep, I say to myself, fantastic, I can now use this time to meditate. <laughs> because all the science tells us that the worst thing we can do when we can't sleep is to try and make ourselves sleep. Mm -hmm. That makes us much more stressed out and less likely to be able to sleep. I want to talk about this life-changing accident you had back in 2007, two years into starting the Huffington Post. And I know you've talked about this a lot, but for anyone listening who doesn't know that story, would you mind telling us a bit about what happened? So what happened is that I had bought into the whole delusion um, that <laughs> permeates our culture, that in order to succeed, to be amazing at what we're doing, we have to be always on, powered through exhaustion, and that burnout is basically the price we pay for success. So I was um, the divorced mother of two daughters, um, the founder of the Huffington Post, two years into building it. And I collapsed from exhaustion, sleep deprivation, hit my head on my desk, broke my cheekbone. And looking back now, Gigi, it really was an amazing wake-up call that mm -hmm. helped me um, really change my life before mm -hmm. it was too late. And we look around now and we see millions upon millions um, being uh, burnt out and with a lot worse consequences than what I went through in terms of their health, their mental health, and, um, and their ability to live a full life. You know, there's something you said on an interview with Oprah, and don't quote me here. It was along the lines of, even before you hit your head, you knew the self-care steps you should have been taking. You just weren't taking them. And the fall essentially has in the process. And I feel so many of us, myself included, know what steps to take. But similar to you, we're just not taking them. Like, I know I should meditate every day. I've read the research, I believe in the science, but for some reason, it's so hard for me to actually do it. And I'm curious why you think we're so reluctant to do the things we know will help us. Well, actually, that's such an amazing question because that's why I left the Huffington Post to found a behavior change company because precisely <laughs> I wanted to help people go from knowing what to do to actually doing it. 
because um, we've increased awareness a lot in the last few years around sleep, around mindfulness, um, around stress reduction, etc. But people are still having a very hard time making these changes. So I wanted to build a product, an app, a platform that could help people. And I realized, Gigi, that what made it so hard for people is that a a lot of the behavior change apps are point solutions. They try Mm -hmm. to address one part, like meditation or steps or sleep. And the truth is that we need to address the whole human. Mm -hmm. Because if you have eaten tons of junk and sugar, you're going to have a harder time sleeping. If you are sleep-deprived, you're going to eat more junk and sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same applies to our mental habits and to our exercise and movement, etc. So we wanted to bring together micro-steps for behavior change, mm-hmm. which is the only way to change. You know, if people try to uh, do it all in... Um, Uh, big, overwhelming New Year resolutions, they tend to fail. And then when you fail, you're ashamed and Mm -hmm. it's harder to get back on the horse. So we call our micro steps too small to fail. I love that. Really break it down to tiny, tiny, tiny new habits every day, which lead to big changes. Then storytelling is key. Uh, to be inspired and motivated, reading the stories of others um, who have changed things in their lives and why that matters, and also writing our own stories, you know, journaling, mm-hmm. and also sharing them with others is key. Yeah. And it's it's so important to recognize, as you said, that everything we are saying is based on the latest science and that the latest mm-hmm. science validates ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's so funny you mentioned micro steps because I spent some time in a psychiatric hospital for my OCD back in 2019. And we'd start our day with this group morning meeting where we'd go around the room and each patient would say one thing that we were going to get done today. And I remember my first meeting, the group leader asked what I was going to do. And I said I was going to finish my book. And she said, smaller. And I said, okay, I'll read a chapter of my book. And she said, smaller. And I said, Uh, okay, I read a page of my book. And she goes, exactly. uh, And that was the idea, is that they wanted to set us up for success rather than something that we wouldn't be able to cross off our to-do list and then feel bad about not having crossed it off and the progress we'd made, we'd have not made during the day. And jump forward to two years later, I'm reading Thrive and I see that you have a name for this method. So that, that really, <laughs> that really me- needless to say between, between the psychiatric place and you, I'm definitely sold. But I'm curious if Microsteps is, if it's something to kind of start you off or are you still doing them? Oh, no, it's forever. Mm-hmm. Because we are always evolving. There are always things we want to change. There are always mm-hmm. things we want to be better in. Life is an endless journey. And every one of us is forever a work in progress. Mm-hmm. So microsteps is forever. Um, storytelling is forever. And reading ancient wisdom is forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love... 
going back to sleep, having a pile of books uh, on my nightstand, physical, real books that have nothing to do with work, nothing to do with the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but that connect me with um, uh, bigger themes and the wisdom of the ages, whether it's mm-hmm. the Stoics or the or Chinese wisdom or um, Indian wisdom. It's just amazing to, to see this kind of incredibly eclectic um, treasure trove that we have access to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved hearing about Marcus Aurelius in your book and the way you kind of sprinkled in his wisdom throughout. I mean, his words stuck with me the most. There was this one part where you mentioned um, the idea that everything, like things are rigged in our favor. And mm-hmm. I think that that was a roomy quote, but yes. you also likened it to him. You know, if someone shows up in your life or if something happens in your life, Think about it as if it was meant to be there, and that was so powerful. Oh, I love that! I love this. is a This is a very interesting quote because it. So often, the hardest things in our lives, you know, the mm-hmm. people who are here to sandpaper us, <laughs> um, the the challenges in front of us are precisely what we need to get to a deeper part of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, speaking of people who who challenge us, and and also help us access different parts of yourself. Reading about your mother and the effect she's had on you was also incredibly powerful. And there's this one part where you quote your mom's words, where she says, failure is not the opposite of success. It is the stepping stone to success. And you've been so open about your failures and your struggles. Was there a time in your life or your career that you really considered giving up? And if so, what stopped you? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Uh, There was a time um, when uh, I had written my second book. I was 27. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first book had had been a big success. So to my surprise, my second book was rejected by 37 publishers, uh, by which time I had run out of the money I had made Mm -hmm. from my first book. I lived in London at the time, and I literally started thinking, you know, hey, maybe the first book was a fluke. I need Mm -hmm. to get a real job and not try and be a writer. And uh, then I was literally uh, walking kind of depressed down St. James's Street in London, and I saw a bank, Barclays Bank, in the corner, and something made me go in, ask to see the bank manager, and ask for what the Brits call an overdraft, i.e. a loan. And I just kind of have no idea where I found the chutzpah because I had no money, I had no assets, And um, also, I have no idea where the bank manager gave it to me. (laughs) Every holiday, I still send him a holiday card. His name is Ian Bell. And and for me, it's a little bit like the fairy tales where the hero Mm -hmm. or the heroine is lost in a dark forest. And there are these helpful animals that come out to guide them out of the forest. And I think in our lives, often... There are these uh, helpful animals disguised as a bank manager or a teacher or (laughs) Mm -hmm. a friend who guides us out of the dark forest. 
so he gave you the advance, but spiritually, how are you feeling? Like, how did you find it in yourself to keep going? Or was that enough evidence for you to know to keep going forth? So that was kind of the evidence that I needed at the time. You know, at different Mm -hmm. moments in our lives, we are looking for different signs or uh, different things to strengthen us. Mm -hmm. For me, that was what I needed. A, practically to keep things together (laughs) in terms of paying my bills, um, Mm -hmm. but also spiritually in terms of trusting the universe and, Mm -hmm. and trusting the fact that this was a challenging time, but the challenging time was not forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, what I found great is uh, um, my youngest daughter went through her own challenge of being hit by a bike, suffering from concussion, mm-hmm. terrible, debilitating headaches for the last three years. And she wrote her own book where she talked about how Uh, As she put it, everything fell apart and then something new emerged. Hmm. So it was really great to to see in my daughter a different generation in her 20s, the way I was in my 20s, a different challenge and going through it and discovering her own spiritual strength Mm -hmm. that helped her get through uh, the medical challenges and the chronic pain. And it didn't, it did not lead to the end of the pain. That, that's what mm-hmm. is so interesting. Often mm-hmm. in those stories, my story, your story, Isabella's story, <laughs> we expect, you know, a happy ending where everything is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, everything comes together and you put a bow around it. And life is rarely like that. Was there a piece of advice that you gave Isabella when she was going through all of this that maybe resonated for her and helped her go go forth? Yes, actually, she wrote something in relation to that advice. I can I have it here. I have it on my desk. I can read it to you. She said when something senseless happens that our minds can't explain or justify or control, it's a fork in the road, a moment of choice. Mm. One fork is to go into despair and cynicism and raging at the universe, which is the route I first chose. That's what she started doing, feeling that (laughs) the universe is against me. Why me? Mm -hmm. You know, it's such a natural way of reacting. Mm -hmm. Of course. And if you never believed in anything as amorphous as God or the universe, you can double down on how meaningless life is. Now, (laughs) we we come from a family where we always kind of believed, not in any particular dogma or a particular religious tradition, but where we always believe there's something else in the universe Mm -hmm. beyond this life that ends with death. Mm. And But then what happened to her is that at some point she chose the other fork in the road, which is the journey to find deeper meaning in even the most senseless events in your life. You know, you had to go to a psychiatric hospital, deal with your OCD. That was Mm -hmm. also a a meaning-making exercise. Mm -hmm. She had to deal with chronic pain. That deepened um, the meaning in her life. And the journey was kind of letting your loss and pain be the catalyst Mm. that diverts you of whatever is not needed and takes you to the core of who you are, which is a lifelong journey. 
but it's part of the sandpapering that we mentioned earlier. I love how you make death so prominent in your book and you're not afraid to speak about it. And I specifically love how you in some way put our lives into perspective with the idea of the eulogy, how no one will eulogize how many hours you worked on a Friday or how quickly you got promoted. But what does appear in our eulogies is what we mean to people. And that is ultimately the point of our lives, the love and connection we feel and bring to ourselves and others. What would you want your eulogy to include? Or have you ever thought about it? So what is interesting, Gigi, is that I have zero interest in my eulogy, my legacy, anything like that. And the reason is that I am so profoundly convinced um, that uh, there is so much more to our journey than this life that mm-hmm. I'm much more interested in that than in how the world um, will remember me. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember Oprah has this question that she asks everybody uh, who does the Super Soul Sunday uh, interview. And the question is, what do you know for sure? <laughs> and what I said to her is that what I know for sure is that however magnificent our life is, our job, our successes, Mm -hmm. it pales compared to who we are in our essence, you know, in our spiritual essence, in our soul. So because I profoundly believe that, um, I'm profoundly uninterested (laughs) (laughs) in my eulogies and my legacy. (laughs) I guess I meant more in the capacity of, you know, when we do eulogize, it isn't actually, as you said in your book, it is nothing to do with your career. It really is more about the interpersonal communications and relationships that we've fostered with people. And so I guess I was kind of asking a bit in terms of that regard, like, you know, I I know you're, you're continue to cultivate your daughter, your relationship with Christina and Isabella. You've been, I feel like they come up in almost every interview you do, um, but <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't know. I guess I was just curious, like, what, spiritually, like, what makes your life most meaningful right now? No, I, I understand what you're saying. I just think um, everything that makes my life meaningful right now is about right now. Mm-hmm. And about, you know, what I'm building at Thrive to have an impact on people's lives and help them, as you said, go from knowing what to do to doing it. Um, It's my um, Mm -hmm. deep relationship with my daughters. And uh, I I feel that uh, it's particularly a gift that my daughters are going through their own spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm continuing on mine, and that brings us even closer together. And in a way, the pandemic has been a forced pause that has made so many of us mm. um, move away from the very frenetic, very breathless way we're living our lives and have more time to connect with that deeper part of ourselves. So that's kind of the silver lining. Mm-hmm. during this crucible, during this time of tremendous losses and pain. 
When your inner critic does surface, which you call the obnoxious roommate living in your head, what did it say to you before you started your spiritual work and everything you, all the wellness you cultivated post-fall versus what it says to you now? Oh, my obnoxious roommate has been (laughs) a huge part of my life. And uh, it's um, it's the part of me that doubts me, questions me, judges me, and um, I'm, it's not. I haven't completely evicted the obnoxious roommate by any means, Gigi. <laughs> but I've toned. I've basically reduced the volume. Mm-hmm. It's not as intense as it used to be, and I find that I'm. I feel that that rumination, the thing that our brain does, Mm -hmm. that stays stuck in the past, in what we did, Mm -hmm. um, instead of forgiving ourselves and moving on, learning from mistakes, but moving on, Mm -hmm. um, it's just been one of the biggest um, lessons in my life. And I've um, actually created an affirmation that I use which is, um, I'm on a train going home to God, enjoying all the scenery along the way. And uh, I came up with this uh, um, affirmation because I love trains. Same. (laughs) And and if you think of it, anytime you're on a train, you enjoy the journey. Um, The landscapes you see are never always beautiful. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, in the most beautiful parts, of the Orient Express, yeah. where I went on my honeymoon, oh, my dream. there are some seriously ugly <laughs> um, parts that you go through. But that doesn't make you feel, oh my God, this is a terrible journey. Let me get <laughs> off this train. Right. So being able to enjoy everything along the way, or if not enjoy, at least know that um, you're moving on, that... Uh, Mm -hmm. Nothing is final. And that if you cling to what you're seeing, whether it's beautiful or not, it's just going to make it harder. There's one tip that I've been using of yours, which is writing down three things I'm grateful for every morning in a notebook. And I can't tell you how much that has made a difference in, in my life. And... It also helps me mitigate stress. And I feel that it's so difficult sometimes to not get stressed out about the things that are so insignificant. Like I have the same feeling of stress and emotion coursing through my body when my doctor calls me with lab results as I do trying to hail a cab in the winter (laughs) in New York City. And one is significantly more important than the other. Yet I honestly might even get more stressed out with the cab. And going through these, this constant daily fight of getting stressed out by everything, do you have a trick to calm yourself down when you need to, whether it's a quote or something you can always return to? Oh, I love that. Uh, yes, my favorite trick is actually based on the latest neuroscience mm-hmm. um, that um, tells us that while stress is unavoidable, Mm -hmm. cumulative stress is avoidable. Mm -hmm. 
And it's cumulative stress that is the problem in terms of our health and our mental health. Mm -hmm. So in our app, we have this feature called Reset, uh, which is just 60 seconds because it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress. Uh, Stress is that cortisol hormone in our body. Mm -hmm. But if we can take 60 seconds to focus on deep breathing, Mm -hmm. or to remember what we're grateful for, or to just get up and stretch, Uh, we are able to release the cortisol hormone from the body and to move from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous Mm -hmm. system, to move from fight or flight of, you know, I'm hailing a cab and it's not coming, to um, the eye of the hurricane, Mm -hmm. which is that place of calm and strength and peace in the middle of the hurricane. Mm -hmm. And knowing that we have that place and that we have this ability to get to it again and again, that most of the time we don't live there and we fall off it many times in a day, but we can get back on it quickly. To me, that's like such a huge gift for all of us to remember. Is there something that you always do? To, to snap yourself back to it? I actually have built, like any user of our app can build, their own personalized reset. Okay. I'll send you mine. Okay, yeah. I'd love to hear you. You can play it. Um, it basically is just 60 seconds. It has pictures of um, my daughters. Okay. Um, it has uh, pictures of my pet, pictures of... Uh, um, of quotes I love, including the roomy quote you like, live life as though everything is rigged in your favor, a favorite piece of music, and a breathing pacer. Wow. So I can watch it while taking deep inhales and deep exhales, and it's just 60 seconds. It's amazing that it's so self-curated. I'm sure that's it's like everything you need to calm yourself down in one space, even though ironically it's a phone, but you know, it does help. I know, ironically it's a phone, (laughs) you're right. Um, But uh, once you get used to doing it, you can can bring it into your life in many ways, just reminders, quotes, pictures, Mm -hmm. whatever it is that helps you course correct. I have one final question to ask you. What drives you? Oh, what drives me is um, having an impact on people's lives. I think what you are saying about how more and more people know that there is another way to live our lives Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't have to be as breathless and as frenetic and as filled with stress. Helping people not just know that but live it is such a big passion of mine it's a mission that really drives me because it's ultimately based on a spiritual principle which is that Mm -hmm. we all have that place of peace and strength and resilience in us that's our birthright and um, it's such a shame not to be connected with it Mm -hmm. and uh, it's worth everything to learn to be connected and how to get reconnected. And um, that for me is um, the mission of the rest of my life. And uh, it makes me 
excited to get up every day and get going and deal with all the inevitable challenges of the day. I think so much of it too is just about reprioritizing, right? Because when we've been groomed in a society where we are taught and learned to where stress is a badge of honor and that laughing and dinners with friends and baths with candles are seen as the reward for (laughs) grinding ourselves to dust. The latter is so upside down. Like, where did we go so wrong? But I'm so excited that your generation is um, re-evaluating all that. And thank you Mm -hmm. for what you've done, for your courage and your honesty, and for the way you are helping um, so many people along the way. Thank you, Gigi. Aw, thank you. And thank you for taking the time. That, my friends, was my conversation with Ariana Huffington. You can follow her at Ariana Huff with two N's and me at Gillian Sagansky, also with two N's. I always want to hear from you and I want to hear your thoughts on this episode, the previous episodes, who you want to hear from next, the whole shebang. So DM me and hit that subscribe button because you will not want to miss out on our next guest. I'm off to try the reset in the Thrive app that Ariana mentioned, and it's in the episode notes, so you can check it out for yourself too. Until next time.